1: and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 38.5. Here we are, ready to roll with all the stuff that we didn't have time to talk about on episode 38. And what a conversation it was. Yes, we had some great guests there with William Bruce West and Kevin Hellions. A couple of bad boys, but we enjoyed having them. Now, let's get caught up in the world of 1994 with Michael and...
0: The Wave Riders Wayback Machine for October 1994. Wow, here we go. October. There are some movies. Okay, the first is. The Specialist with Sylvester Stallone and I think Sharon Stone is in this movie. Yes, they are. I was thinking of also that other movie Assassins, where he's in with Antonio Banderas, which comes out a little bit later than this and not as good as this. The Specialist is a super cool movie. He plays like a explosives expert or a bombing expert or something. Terrific. The chemistry between Sharon Stone and Sylvester Stallone is really good. Next up, we have Pulp Fiction, which oftentimes people honestly say was better than Forrest Gump, But because it's just so different, like, it wasn't going to win an Oscar. But it is a terrific movie. I still think Forrest Gump is a better movie. But they were both competing for the title of Best Picture that year. It was a big controversy because they they were going back and forth in in the different award shows. But Pulp Fiction is a fantastic movie with an ensemble cast. Highly recommend it. Great movie. If you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, it's probably Quentin Tarantino's best movie, in my opinion. Next, jumping down the list, we've got two really great movies. We've got Little Giants. Little Giants is Ed O'Neill and Rick Moranis coaching pee-wee football. Oh boy, it is The Mighty Ducks on the Gridiron. This is a great movie oh man i forgot all about this movie i love it i'm so happy to be talking about this i can't wait to see this movie again and watch it and show it to my kids it is great like if you don't like rick moranis and ed o'neill in this movie there's something wrong with you because this movie is phenomenal i love it i'm so happy this movie's on this list yeah i i miss this movie this was a great film next we have stargate Stargate was a movie that I saw in the theater the first time. It is a Kurt Russell movie, and I think James Spader. Yeah, way ahead of its time. But it sparked a couple of spin-off TV shows, which is crazy. And it was very, very popular. It was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. I've seen it a bunch of times. It's very interesting how they piece that movie together, like the Egyptians and aliens, and it was a real high concept movie. Now, this next one, I have to mention this because it is, it's a movie, alright? <laughs> the next movie is Exit to Eden with Rosie O'Donnell and Dan Aykroyd, where they have to, like, in they're like cops of some sort, and they have to infiltrate some sort of, like, s and club or some sort of like sex fantasy thing it's it's really wild and I, I i cannot believe this movie even got made let alone with dan Aykroyd and rosie o'donnell in this movie because it is whew, it's a little, little out there <laughs> yeah it's a weird movie i've seen it once and i was like i never need to see this again yeah it's a, it's a weird movie one other movie that came out in october and i would be remiss if I did not mention this movie. I never saw it. As you all know, I get scared easy. But The Puppet Masters came out in October of 94. And here's a weird thing. This was a Walt Disney Studio Pictures film. Earth is invaded by a stingray shaped alien slugs that ride on people's backs and control their minds how did this get made by disney i have no idea but it did and it made four million dollars <laughs> go figure so yeah super weird and uh, not great that is the movies of october of 1994 now let's talk about some music and again 94 was a big year for music big year for me in music too because i really was kind of getting into CDs and just jamming out to music and there was a lot of stuff right out of the gate you've got Madonna's Bedtime Stories not an album that I bought but it was a very popular album then you've got Korn's self-titled album Korn which was hugely played by me in this time period great album Green Day's Welcome to Paradise, Off the Dookie album, came out this month. Nirvana's MTV Unplugged? Oh man, that album got me good. That was one of the best albums of all time, is Nirvana's MTV Unplugged. Truthfully, they've done a million unplugged things, or not maybe a million, but a, a lot. The Nirvana one is probably the best one, by far. Sade's The Best of Sade came out. I remember this album because my mom was a huge Sade fan, and we used to listen to this all the time. She loved Sade. which was really funny. And then to round out the list, In Excess came out with The Greatest Hits. And In Excess, a band that I didn't particularly like, but I had a friend who loved In Excess. He had a poster, like a blacklight poster in his room, and it was really cool looking. Yeah, great month of music great year of music and that is the wave riders Wayback machine for october of 1994 back to adam
1: all right and now it's time to get into the top 10 heroes and villains of the month Feels like not much has changed at least in the top five except for the fact that Pitt is now number four okay so you know we got spawn in number one we got spider-man at number two we got batman in number three but here's what they have to say about pit a true testament to the popularity of the pit character and the diehard fan following of pit creator dale keown is the fact that pit is in the top 10 more often than not even though he's only been in a handful of issues over the past two years so what is pit so upset about here might be he just realized he's recently made an appearance in every image book but his own missing out on the the opportunity to really rake in the dough and cash in on his superstar status. Dale, where the hell are you? Switching gears here a sec? To answer the small bucket of mail regarding Pitt's claws and nose, yes, his claws are retractable, so we could pick his nose if you had one. All right, so speaking of which here, they're talking about that Pitt was a perennial guest star in Image Books. If you listen to the Rob Servations podcast, Rob did an episode where basically he's talking about comic book feuds and all these types of things. And he goes on a very long story about a particular creator that he was working with that he got to use the character in one of his books. And then at a certain point, that creator got busted for drugs. And so he started suing everybody that he had loaned his character to, saying it wasn't authorized, trying to get money to pay all his legal fees. And so Rob Liefeld is very cagey. He did not give the name. He said, it's water under the bridge. It's whatever. But if you read between the lines, you would know that it was Dale Keown, and it was Pitt that was the character that was appearing in other books that he was suing people over. So, just in case if you're a Robservations listener and a Wizards listener, now you know the truth. Alright, so at the number 5 spot is Gambit, and then number 6 is Ripclaw, which I believe he was number 10 last issue, so he's really jumping up here. Then number 7 is Superman. Number 8 is She. So i want to see what they have to say about She here. They say, looking like she just saw the giant bug that's been running around the wizard press offices of late, a two-inch mutant centipede silverfish thing, she is another one of those characters known as bad girls who have been stirring up quite a ruckus in both the wizard top 10 and the top 100 lately. She is which is Chinese for death, is actually Anna Ishikawa, a lady who can throw down with the best of them. She is the protector of honor, a difficult job to say the least when one considers the state of the world today. And while she, or she, uh, if you prefer, is a compassionate soul, she's capable of cutting you from abdomen to ear if you cross her. You've been warned. Yeah, so, uh, Billy Tucci is continued to comment on our social media when we mentioned she which is great but also we've heard from a lot of you saying that she was actually a really well-written book in addition to having great art so now i feel like we gotta see if we can track down some copies or at least buy that omnibus that was on kickstarter all right here we go Lady Death is at the number nine spot and it says, What? The price of silicone just went down? That would explain why she's smiling. Oh my. Anywho, this Lady Death chicky sure is the epitome of the 1994 estrogen-driven comic character. She's good-looking, but doesn't let anyone control her. She's soft and shapely, but don't get on her bad side because she's also tough as nails. And while comics have always had a smattering of popular female characters, She-Hulk, Medusa, Rogue, and Psylocke to name a few, the hot babes of 1994, do something no female character besides Wonder Woman has ever been able to do. Drive sales as the lead character of a successful title. And in the number 10 spot is Morpheus from Sandman. So yeah, I like how the number 10 spot especially, they're always adding in somebody new lately. All right, but it's time for my favorite section, the board of the Month. But wait a minute. The Spider-Clone? Here's what they had to say. Where do we start ripping this bag of sin a new one? Man, this is tough. Do we begin by saying the mere concept of bringing back Spidey's clone is quite possibly the single most ludicrous idea in comics this year? No? This No? This decade? Okay, that sounds good. Next, we have to wonder what's up with that hooded cut-off sweatshirt. It would seem that the villains could choke the monkey to death simply by pulling his strings. Besides, what does he need a hood for? Cold weather? Certainly not to protect his identity, guys, because he already has a mask. Let's not forget those cute little pouches on his ankles. What does he keep in there? His fruit roll-ups? Overall, quite the costume, if you're into crappy costumes. Let's face it, gang, the sooner we get rid of the spidey light, the better. Now be gone, you foul-smelling false entity. And on the Mort-O-Meter, it says Spider-Mort here has become the first crappy character in Mort history to go completely off the scale. Ah. I just, Wizard, the hatred. You hated the spider clones so much, you just wanted to rag on him. Well, I decided that I needed to explore and understand better just how bad it really was. Had they read it? Were they turned off by how he was presented? Or just the look of it? Or just the very idea of it? And so, as a result, it is time for Robins Reading Rainbow. <laughs> Alright, so as you'll recall, there was an ad in here where they wanted you to purchase Web of Spider-Man number 119 for six forty-five. dollars that's $6.45, and then you'd be prepaying for three other comics that are coming out that month that are basically the main introduction of the Ben Reilly Spider-Clone character. Now, the thing that wizard i think was really harping on before i get into the story here was the costume right they thought it looked stupid they brought up the hoodie the pouches that were on the ankles all those things but regarding the evolution of the costume in design the spider-man collectors preview which has a december 1994 cover date i happened to pick this up in a back issue bin a year ago and i've been wanting to read it and it's got a lot of information like they announced straight out that dr octopus is going to die at some point in the these storylines and that nothing in the spider books will be what you think they will be. But they also break down how they came up with the Scarlet Spider costume. And it was actually kind of a contest between Tom Lyle and Mark Bagley. But Mark Bagley, all his designs, he said, were just basically uh, either too close to Spider-Man, or they were just kind of unwieldy. They weren't that great. But Tom Lyle, what he did originally, he said, I kept it simple with the second costume. It was a plain black bodysuit, an old turtleneck with the sleeves tucked up. The spider symbol was on the mask, which I liked a lot, but Danny felt it might be a little tough to recognize. So yeah, this basically looks almost identical to the Scarlet Spider, except for the mask. So that's what he said that the editors changed, where they just said, well, instead of making a black bodysuit, make it red, and then on the mask, give him the traditional spider eyes, but no webbing. But everything else here, like the hoodie is there, the actual ankle pouches, those are there too. Having the web shooters on the outside of the costume are there. I'm going to post this on social media so you can all see the evolution of how stupid it could have been. Because there was even one that Tom Lyle did that was a rocketeer-style jacket, a double-breasted jacket. I mean, he says, I wasn't thrilled with this spider-tier version either. So, I mean, it could have been that bad. And yeah, Mark Bagley's weren't any better. So, I think of all they settled on going for a non-costume costume, as they called it, I think it worked really well with what they came up with for the Scarlet Spider. But what was this story all about? And what I didn't realize at this time in 117, which is really like the premiere of Ben Riley, was that Spider-Man was in a bad way. If you don't recall, like, he hated his Peter Parker identity because life was terrible for Peter Parker, so he was just calling himself the Spider, and he sees Ben Riley looking exactly like Peter Parker on a rooftop, and he's calling him an imposter, so he just wants to throw down. He's just ready to destroy him, saying stuff like, maybe you're nothing more than a figment of my twisted imagination. Some warped delusion I've created in my own mind. He knows he's going crazy, but the clone is telling him, I don't want to fight. I just came here to check on Aunt May, which also makes Peter kind of confused. He's like, what do you know about Aunt May? Like, that's now a bigger problem for me. You're threatening my family. But it literally is just a fight while they're talking throughout this entire issue. And ultimately, we do get introduced to a mysterious new character who is at the Ravencroft Hospital and it is Judas Traveler who is just like an old man with long hair and a white mustache and a lot of cloaks. He has like a cloak on top of a trench coat and it looks like he has some plans for the Ravencroft Institute where he is going to basically visit everybody involved in Maximum Carnage. So he talks to Shriek, he talks to Carnage. He actually has the ability to make the symbiote retreat. So he's got some mysticism in him and he basically comes to the conclusion that Spider-Man is the reason that there are all these problems and these supervillains in the world he is the connective tissue for every villain that is held in the Ravencroft hospital and he sends this woman, oh her name is Chakra and she can project an astral image of herself and so she kind of confuses Spider-Man and she says that Dr. Judas Traveler is challenging you for control of Ravencroft and all this stuff so now he has a, a new mission there meanwhile Ben Riley escape. So then in issue number 118, this is the first time you see the Scarlet Spider costume. So on the cover there, you know, it's like the clone in his first solo adventure. Ben Riley is at a Museum of Natural History exhibit. There's giant spiders everywhere. You know, I gotta keep the theme. Having an internal monologue about, I'm just a clone. I'm just a copy. I'm nothing. I don't want to be a hero. I'm just trying to see it, May and get out of here, but I can't help it because there is a piece of me i can't escape it because it's in my dna but the most important thing i felt like in this issue is we learned where he got the hoodie i always assumed he just bought a hoodie and then drew a spider insignia on it but actually the spider insignia was already part of a gift shop sweatshirt that he buys at the museum Meanwhile, you got Venom running around because his internal monologue involved saying like, how could Spider-Man let Venom survive? How could he let him go? That type of stuff. He he sounded like he had a more lethal edge to him. And actually a lot of this issue is flashbacks because what they're really trying to do is establish who Ben Reilly is. What is his connection? What is Spider-Man's history? And so you get like a flashback to Uncle Ben's death. You get a flashback to Gwen Stacy's death. And randomly on the bridge, there is a woman in a, like a Victorian style dress who is jumping off the save Gwen Stacy area and he saves her and takes her to a hospital. But I just thought that was so random and in the subsequent issues that I read, I didn't see any explanations like, did Judas Traveler put her up there? Like, why was she dressed like that? Where did she come from? Maybe eventually we get it. I don't know. So after he saves that woman, he decides, yes, I have to do what I have to do. This is my destiny. I'm going to be a costumed hero hero so he rips the arms off the hoodie he puts it on with his red bodysuit and his mask and he says okay venom here's one spider-man who's not gonna let you run wild so in spider-man number 52 which is part two of the exile returns storyline on the title page it says deadline and it says stanley presents spider-man and that's crossed out it says ben riley they write in instead and so we see venom is out and about he's been thinking about spider-man but then Scarlet Spider shows up, and he says, You move like him, but you can't be the real Spider-Man. He has an agreement with us. He would leave us alone, and we wouldn't eat his brains. But you're a fake. We don't like fakes. And then he slashes Ben's gut, and so he's got this big bloody wound in there. So while they're starting to battle, then one of these offspring from Cartage comes over, the female version, and so she is trying to get answers from Venom, but he says, No, Carnage is evil if your are is spot." Spawn- That he doesn't trust her, so the two symbiote characters are fighting. And Ben is now just trying to save the innocent bystanders. Again, having this internal monologue: Am I going to be a hero? Why did Peter Parker allow Venom to survive? Look at all the damage he's causing. So then he takes off, and then you get the next issue, which you had to go back to Web of Spider-Man. Okay, because this is this is how things are running these days. So in Web of Spider-Man number one nineteen, which is part three, we. You see Ben goes back to his apartment, takes off his costume, but then he's basically passing out from loss of blood when he goes to make a phone call. And there's this gal who shows up and she decides that she's going to help him even though he might just be a junkie or something. She lives in the apartments with him. So she helps him get going. Her name is... Gabrielle Greer. Meanwhile Venom is trying to figure out who is this imposter? Where is Peter Parker? He's gotta tell me. So he actually goes to Mary Jane and Peter's apartment and breaks in but they're gone. He goes to Aunt May's house but she's not there because she's in the hospital right now. Like there's just so much going on. He's trying to figure out what the story is. So meanwhile you have this character that is introduced in the shadows like working for some mafia group. He's stuck behind a newspaper. You don't see his face but they you just keep calling him Kane. They say, we need you to go and wipe out this other boss. And he's basically doesn't like their taunts. So he busts out and he kind of knocks them all down and leaves the mark of Kane on them saying something else has come up. Basically, it just looks like webs that crawl over their face. And he was reading an article that says, is the Scarlet Spider connected to Spider-Man? So anyway, Ben ends up in the hospital and the reporter is on his trail. So luckily he gets out of there just before but when he does he is now on top of the hospital and there is the female symbiote who is trying to get answers from him and so she freaks out starts knocking all these pieces of mortar and stuff off and so ben jumps off and he's like breaking apart all the pieces into rubble and realizing again i have to be a hero i can't get away from this and He also creates impact webbing. So he talks about how he's created this new idea. Venom battles the female symbiote because again, he doesn't like her. She's an offspring of Carnage. He doesn't trust her. And then we are left with a final showdown when the Scarlet Spider shows up to tell Venom that he is not going to let him roam free. That cannot be. So Venom and Ben are battling and he ultimately decides that he is going to use his impact webbing, which means that when it shoots on you, it just keeps going and going and going it just wraps around you so you don't have to shoot the webbing constantly the it just expands with the air it's hard to say so venom is like totally covered and ben is like that's not going to last long and it doesn't he rips through it they continue to destroy each other uh, in the streets until He takes another shot of the impact webbing, but this time straight down Venom's throat. So now what it's doing is it's the throat of the symbiote, not Eddie Brock, so it is separating Brock and the symbiote from one another, which means Brock's head is exposed, which means that the Scarlet Spider can get a shot to his face and actually hurt him somewhat, try to knock him down. Meanwhile, Kane is up on top of a building watching all this go down, and then the symbiote separates itself from Eddie Brock. Brock and then kind of looks at Ben Riley and it says immediately the symbiote senses something familiar about Riley. sending out more tendrils it seeks a bonding a symbiosis and then no get out of my mind so Ben denies it and then the guardsmen show up and they contain Brock and the symbiote once again so yeah there you have it that was the exile return storyline and I gotta say like yes I mean it was four issues essentially of that story they were promoting and a lot of it is you know ben reilly's existential crisis of am i gonna be a hero even though i'm not really spider-man i think that is actually a pretty good tack to take because it literally could have been like somebody coming in with a bunch of bravado be like hey i'm the real spider-man and i'm gonna do it the right way and he's there's a little bit of that like i'm gonna put down venom where spider-man never did but overall i felt like these were some pretty good issues the only part to me that's kind of dumb is the judas traveler stuff and that was all taking place i think in amazing spider-man is where that storyline was going on i didn't bother reading it because that character doesn't interest me and crazy spider-man at this time doesn't interest me Now, the question becomes Would I have prepaid for all those issues if I knew that that was the story contained within? And I gotta say, I think I would have. Uh, This was a really good setup to the character of Ben Riley. I think it introduced what his conflict was, but also that he has that heart of a hero and he's maybe gonna do things a little bit different. He's gonna innovate with the impact webbing. And I, I just, I really enjoyed this read. Now, I will say that as I looked forward to the issues that, continued in the months following, it kind of tapered off for me. You know, I mentioned that they said they were going to kill off Dr. Octopus and so they kind of introduced him with his new sidekick stunner this like super buff woman and like there seemed to be stuff going on in the spider books that were just meandering like it didn't seem to further the clone saga itself and then they say, oh okay now, you know, you get introduced to Miles Warren is back as the jackal and he's mixing things up so there was kind of stuff to come and then there was stuff to kind of fill in Uh, certain months. But this particular set, uh, I gotta say, I enjoyed it and I think that there was a good amount of story and anticipation built up with the mystery of Cain and everything else. Like I said, I could just leave out the Judas Traveler. I didn't need any of that. But uh, now, it's time to find out what Michael's been reading. Gonna send
0: you on over to... Kennedy's Corner. This month, in Kennedy's Corner, we got a couple of cool things to talk about. First, I'm gonna talk about Wonder Girl the new DC Infinite Frontier Wonder Girl is awesome They just came out with like the second issue it was a little bit delayed, but the first two issues are just fantastic It's a great take. I'm a huge Wonder Girl fan of the various iterations This one is very special now. I want to talk a little bit about movies and movies are coming back in a big way finally so First, I saw a movie called Fatherhood with Kevin Hart on Netflix. It is terrific. It is a great movie, not something you would expect from Kevin Hart. It is something you'll laugh, you'll cry. It really tugs at the heartstrings. I love Kevin Smith and I love Ben Affleck, but this is what honestly Jersey Girl should have been or could have been. It's a terrific movie. I strongly recommend it. Next, if you're a parent or you just like to laugh, I saw Boss Baby Back in Business, and it is so funny. It is really, really good. Both my kids and I loved watching it. Had a great time. You can get it on Peacock. You can see it in the theaters. The one thing to know about if you want to watch it on Peacock, you gotta pay the $4.99 to get it in the premium access. But, I'll tell you, we've watched it like three or four times already, so it was worth the price of admission, if you will. The only strange thing is Tobey Maguire is the voice of the older Tim Templeton in the first movie and now it's voiced by James Marsden, who is great in the movie, but it's just weird because I miss Toby's voice. And when he's a kid, he still has adult Tim's voice, which I thought was very strange as well. A lot of the jokes are adult humor for kids and us to get. See it. It recently has left HBO Max, but In the Heights was a great movie. It's a little bit long, but it's super fun. If you like a musical, it's excellent. It's got an ensemble cast of super talented people I highly recommend it and lastly on Amazon Prime I saw the Chris Pratt Tomorrow War movie it is epic. It is super great. I was so impressed. I was so happy to see this. It felt like it should have been in the theaters and I feel like it probably was going to be at some point. And then Amazon just said, you know what, we're going to buy it and we're going to put it out. And the fun fact about this movie that I noticed is J.K. Simmons is in this movie and he is jacked and he's got this big, bushy beard. There was images of him when he was training for Justice League, and he was getting big, and he had the same exact beard. So I'm wondering if this movie was shot around 2015, 2016, because it was the same time, or maybe it was shot right after that, because J.K. Simmons' look and beard is exactly like what it was when he was training to play Jim Gordon in the Justice League movie. So this may have been made a while ago and just got delayed and delayed, and delayed but it's fantastic get it on amazon prime see it this movie is big and fun and terrific and that is Kennedy's corner back to adam thanks michael now it's time
1: for another edition of cap's kooky contests So this time around, the first contest we get in issue 38 is the Techno Comics sweepstakes, okay? And if you don't remember Techno Comics, well, they're going to fill you in on what it was supposed to be and why you should care. So they say, to help celebrate the launch of Techno Comics, the company which will bring you Neil Gaiman's Mr. Hero, the Pneumatic Man, Leonard Nimoy's Primordials, and Gene Roddenberry's Lost Universe, your pals at Techno Comics and Wizard Press have teamed up to ship you and a friend as long as one of you is at least 18 years old, out to sunny Los Angeles, California to attend the Techno Comics launch party. While there, you'll get to hang out with the Techno Comics crew and meet some celebs like Leonard Nimoy. In total, hundreds of comics fans will win neat techno stuff, including the grand prize, an all-expenses-paid trip for the winner and his or her guest from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada to L.A., where you'll spend two fun-filled nights in a classy hotel, be given transportation and spending money courtesy of the techno comics and you'll attend that hop and bash second prize is a stylin techno comics wristwatch third prize is a spiffy techno comics t-shirt and fourth prize is a limited edition techno comics print now they have the cover image from leonard nimoy's Primordials here and it's like this weird rhino creature and it says who the heck is this guy? He's Rhinotaur. Celebrate his release in the first issue of Leonard Devoe's Primortals. Uh, there's also a picture of a bunch of geeks, you would say, at a convention waiting in line somewhere. And it says, everybody's so excited they've lined up to get their copy of Wizard to enter. And the guy's got a thought bubble. I can't wait. I might get to meet Mr. Devoe and get free food. Now I will tell you, when we posted the ad for Techno Comics on our social media, everybody chimed in saying, oh yeah, I bought Primortals because of leonard nimoy leonard nimoy so that's all anybody remembers about techno comics is that leonard nimoy had his name attached to a comic book at one point point. and all you had to do was fill out the official coupon and hope you were chosen so i don't know what else was going on at this techno comics bash but somebody enjoyed the trip to la All right. Now, as you'll recall, also, Wizard loves to use the new contest pages to announce the results of the previous contests. So in this, they're talking about the Wizard number 34 contest for Mars Attacks. And there were three questions you had to answer. The first was, in what country does Mars Attacks begin? Apparently, it was England. And number two was, what species of giant insect shows up at the end of Mars Attacks? Number one. Apparently, it was ants. And then it says, where are the Martians hanging out? while they do their dirty deeds. And it says, in Earth's orbit, okay? So the lucky winner of some original Mars Attacks comic book art was a guy named Richard Hengen in Philadelphia, PA. He was only 15 at the time. So what a lucky duck. Next up here is a contest called Struck Dead. It had to happen sooner or later. Codename Strike Force, the hard-hitting mercenary squad of Mark Silvestri's creation, prided itself on taking the mission that no one else dared to take and now one member of the fearless team has paid the ultimate price during this tearful time of mourning we figured we'd pay tribute to the honored dead by throwing a contest and giving away some neat autographed comics and stuff read on so it says who will bite the bullet the grand prize, the winning epitaph entry, what epitaph entry? We'll get to that in a second. Will appear on the character's tombstone in an upcoming issue of Codename Strikeforce. On top of that, distinct daughter, the winner will also receive Codename Strikeforce number one, Blue Edition, issues number two through six signed by Brandon Peterson, and an original page of Codename Strike Force Art signed by Brandon Peterson and framed, all ready to be mounted, so to speak. Second prize, a set of Codename Strike Force No one gold edition and two through six all signed by brandon peterson third prize a copy of codename strike force number one signed by that peterson fella and fourth prize is a super cool codename strike force poster featuring the very large black anvil well that's all fine and good but what's that about an epitaph well with the codename strike force member kicking the bucket which one Go read code name Strike Strikeforce number six. He, she needs a quick one-liner summing up their life. Something like, oh, here lies Fire Pants. He am dead. Try and make it a little cooler and a little more witty, though. And it shouldn't be too long. We're talking the inscription on a gravestone here. And then what? Simple. Fill out the coupon below, stick your entry in an envelope, and slap a stamp on it and ship it off. So yeah, so they're saying it could be Black Anvil, it could be Striker, it could be Blood Bow, it could be Tempest, it could be Killray so which of those guys do you think they killed off if you were a codename strike force reader maybe you could tell us on social media now one thing here as they've been doing they tell us that the winner of the issue 35 crow contest was michelle ortiz of glendale arizona and i've mentioned this before i used to live in glendale arizona there's a lot of glendale arizona going on in the pages of wizard magazine it's like i say it's a big comics town so that's pretty awesome Alright, the next contest here is interesting because as you'll recall, Jim Lee announced he was going on sabbatical, so here they say, win the Ark of the Covenant. Actually, that's a lie. What you can win, though, is something pretty close, Jim Lee's drawing table. Yes sir, the very same table Jim Lee sat at while dreaming up all of his cool freaking characters can be yours. How, you ask? Sweat glistening from your forehead, hands clenched into trembling fists. Hey, relax, fanboy, we'll get to that in a minute. First, let's take a closer look Look at that table. Yes, sir, this here is the drawing table belonging, for the time being anyway, to the one, the only, the king of sting, the master of disaster, Jim Wildcat Lee. And just to keep you busy and out of trouble, we're throwing in a set of art supplies, a critique of your contest submission. What submission? See the other page, buddy. And a copy of Wildcats number 13, signed by Jim. Second prize is a set of art supplies and a copy of Wildcats number 13. That's the last issue Jim is doing before he goes away, you know. Signed by Jim Lee, third prize is a copy of Wildcats number 13, yes, this is still the last issue Jim is doing before he goes away, signed by Jim Lee. And then there's a picture of Jim Lee kind of looking off to the side in a nice jean jacket saying, that's right, since I'm going on sabbatical, I won't be needing my art table anymore, good luck, and remember, watch the Wildcats cartoon, or I'll kick your butt. So, how do you enter this awesome contest? Fairly simple. All you gotta do is pick your favorite Wildcats character, good guy, bad guy, we don't care, and show us your art skills by drawing that character in an original pose. We'll look through all the entries from the most original and well-done illustrations and award those amazing prizes to the artists. So yeah, so there it was. All you had to do was draw a character that appeared in Wildcats Comics, and then what do you get? Your own drawing table to do some more! So yeah, it's kind of interesting. He must have just worn this one out. He was ready to upgrade when he came back. Alright, now the last contest here is the Great Rocket Comics Guitar Giveaway. They say Wizard Readers Rock! But we all know that. Because Wizard Readers rock so hard, the good folks at Malibu's Rocket Comics and Epic Records want us to help them give you some slamming stuff. We're talking hard and major metal merchandise. what like what? How's about a Lita Ford edition Alvarez electrical guitar like this one right here? What? You want more? Then uh, how's about one of these l- excellent instruments actually autographed by Ozzy Osbourne and Lita Ford? Still not enough? Well, uh, what if we added Live and Loud, a two CD set by Ozzy, and an autographed copy of Ozzy Osbourne Number no. 1, his authorized Rocket Comics biography, and rare gold editions of both Ozzy No. 1 and Lita Ford Number no. 1, the only authorized Lita Ford comic in existence? One rocking wizard reader will win all that as the grand prize in our great rocket comics guitar giveaway 10 more readers will rock away with a live and loud cd set a gold aussie number one and a gold lita number one 20 other rocking readers can snag a gold aussie number one and a gold lita number one So how do you get all this stuff? There's nothing simpler. Just fill out the coupon below, find an envelope, put it in there, slap a stamp on it, yada, yada, yada. So this is what I will say about these comics. I have the Lita Ford comic. It actually has a cover by Jim Ballant. Actually, I think all the art is by Jim Ballant inside. And I did not buy it for the bad girl look of Lita because yes, she kind of has a witch blade armor to her in this. I actually bought it because I'm a huge fan of Lita Ford. I enjoy her albums immensely. She is a great songwriter and performer. But this comic is pretty funny because it's basically Lita Ford fighting against a Tipper Gore-esque woman who is trying to censor heavy metal music and saying it's the music of the devil and all this stuff. And so Lita ends up with this magical guitar and these magic powers and then that woman who is censoring her turns out to actually be a demon. And so they have this big battle inside. It's, It's a Pretty fun little story, and then the rest of it is like interviews and all this other stuff. So it's like a full magazine edition because it's actually an oversized comic. This isn't you know some little dinky thing. That being said, I kind of have to uh, tuck it away in my collection because my wife might say, "What what is this, Lena Ford?" And I'm like, "She rocks, dear." Ah, I'm sure she rocks. All right, so what contest results are on this page? Wouldn't you know it, the winner of Wizard35's profit contest, if you'll recall, you had to count all the bullets featured on the cover image, and Wizard said that they didn't do this contest, like because they couldn't figure out the official number in their big book of covers. But here is the winner. It was Andy Million, age 15, of New York, New York. The answer was 167 shells. So it was possible, and somebody got that original piece of profit art. That does it for K caps kooky contests let's see what we have next oh yeah it's time for hunk and babe of the huh there is no hunk and babe of the month this issue uh what what am i supposed to uh well catch you next time that does it for mini episode 38.5 Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this extra bit of insight. And of course, we invite you to tune in for episode 39. My guest will be Tom from Toylines.com and the Toylines podcast and YouTube channel. It's a great discussion. Lots of deep 90s comic knowledge being shared there. So until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded.